0: Welcome everybody to Historical Shade, Uh, the (laughs) podcast where, I'm our own hype girl, Um, the podcast where Julie and I tell shady topics in history, or shady stories in history, or people just being jerks to each other. Uh, We are not historians, so correct us, get involved in the conversation, Uh, but be nice about things. And Julie's gonna go this week. Oh, Julie, you did your Enneagram test, what were you? I was a one,
1: which it said is the model child of the Enneagram world, um, followed closely by four and eight. Hmm. So does that mean you owe me money because you were so confident that I was going to be a three?
0: Yeah. I'll Venmo you for one. (laughs) Not an expensive bottle of wine.
1: wine. I, I used to be able to get by on like the $4 bottles of wine. Uh huh. But um, they've started making me sick. So now I have had to reduce my wine intake and up it to the $7 bottles of wine.
0: Do you know what I think is like the perfect bottle of wine? Like anything from them is 19 crimes. First off, all delicious. Second, at most $14. Third, you learn a little bit.
1: I don't wanna say $14 with a shocked voice. I should just oh. acknowledge that like normal human beings drink bottles of wine that are $14. There's a fly and I'm like swatting it <laughs> like a cat. I'm not gonna get it, I'm not gonna get it. It's fine. Uh, I <laughs> I can see him. The That's fly? Like,
0: yeah. Let it go. Can't let it go,
1: I'm a one. I'm gonna have to let it go.
0: Is it flying near the microphone?
1: No, it's um, it's not like a fly. Fly. It's um, uh, what what the hell are they? Not uh, a fruit fly. I got the thing for them. There's like a kind of bug that goes in plants when you pull them in from the outside. Mm. I don't remember a white fly. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just like. <laughs> ironic because it's black okay let's just move on we're moving on everybody I'm being a very one four and eight right now all together yes she is. so today Uh today I'm going to talk about Madame de Stael okay and so um I a few weeks ago I did a tour of the Boston Athenaeum which is a library, but it's, it's more than a library. And there's Athenaeums all throughout the the country. So if you have one near you, I highly recommend you do like the art and architecture tour or or whatever sort of thing they have that allows you to visit. Um, it's not an exclusive private club or anything, Mm -hmm. but they, they do have opportunities to visit and, and learn more about it. But as we were walking the floor, I saw a section that was like four biographies in a row about this woman. And one of them, um, it was something that something in the title was about like her and her involvement in the takedown of Napoleon or something. So that immediately piqued my interest. Yeah. And I jumped in to find out about her. So let's dive in yay (laughs) so madame de stael was born on april 22nd 17 17, 1766 she belonged to the distinguished necker family at one point one of the richest families in europe
0: she got made fun of as a kid (laughs) with that last name you got you got made fun of Uh, she was made fun of and then she
1: just tossed all of her money to someone and they beat the crap out of that person I mean, it's the way to do it <laughs>
0: if you're going to be bullied.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so her name is Germaine, and her mother, Suzanne Khashog, was a highly educated woman from Lausanne who closely supervised her daughter's education. Um, she sought to truly give her like, an encyclopedic knowledge of disciplines. So as a kid, she studied math, languages, geography, theology, and dance. Her father held a famous salon attended by celebrities like Voltaire, Diderot, Holbeck, uh, Gibbon, Hume, Walpole. So, I mean, just everyone who's a thinker in the city at the time is is spending time in this salon and
0: thinking. (laughs) Salons, in theory, sound so wonderfully artistic. Like, yes, let's all sit around and think and talk about our thinking but also i th- just exhausting oh i think a oh. whole bunch of people that think they're phenomenal sitting around and talking about i'm trying them. to think of the like what a modern day equivalent would be well like i enjoy round tables like whenever they film like round tables of like all the directors of uh Oscar winning the Oscar winning films or all the like or even I like after show or maybe comic-con panels or like our modern day ones and I enjoy those would
1: you say that's a salon though I guess I guess because it's like someone influencing the conversation and sort of asking the questions and guiding it I guess in my in my you know In my vast experience of salons, Mm -hmm. I'm just envisioning people sitting around a room and, like, everybody having an opinion. And so on top of the opinions that exist, they're also just, like, excessively expressing their opinion.
0: See, I think the modern-day equivalent is not the first bar you go to, but if you're, like, drinking with a whole bunch of artists, the second bar you go to after everyone's three beers in... And sitting around a table and then talking about the injustice of the world. I feel like because you know, like the first bar everyone's still like, Woo, and then the second bar everyone's like, let's yeah. talk about our politics. Like, <laughs> okay. Other option um yeah.
1: a Facebook discussion group.
0: Yes. But a salon would be a Facebook discussion group that is well monitored. With who gets in. Anyway.
1: All right, here we go. So anyway, um, her father, Jacques Necker, also probably made fun (laughs) of. Mm -hmm. And yes, I waited till you were sipping. Mm -hmm. Um, so he was a Swiss Protestant and he had risen to prominence as a banker in Paris, you know, money. Um, he also made a name for himself in the political realm as Louis the Sixteenth's minister of finance. Nice. Uh, and was a leading actor during the initial stages of the French Revolution. I cannot say Louis XVI without saying it like um, Caledon Hockley does in Titanic when he's introducing her to the heart of the no- ocean necklace, and he's like, I was worn by Louis XVI. Like, he does this weird, like, thing at the end with teeth.
0: Anyway. Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Billy Zane, yeah.
1: Billy Zane is underappreciated
0: uh billy zane was the voice of john rolfe in pocahontas 2 journey to a new world which is actually a good movie Continue.
1: you're not helping my case that billy zane is underrated <laughs> <laughs> so um so he's remembered today he in 1781 he took the unprecedented step of making the public of making public the country's budget um It was a big deal. And it was, it was a novelty in an absolute monarchy where the state of the finances had always been kept a secret. Uh, he also thought this custom was both unlawful and ineffective because he realized that public opinion had become an invisible power exercising a major influence on the country and the court. Wow. So, um, and I, I have like a note in italics. I'm like, is this like the first example of sort of the calling out of the court of public opinion? Probably not, but I just found it interesting. Yeah. Uh, he was also, so in July 1789, um, he was dismissed by Louis Sixteenth. <laughs> Wait, was the heart of the ocean Louis Eighth or Louis Sixteenth? Pause.
0: I'm not, I mean, I'm not a tight, I mean, Louis XVI. Okay, I'm right. Unpause. That's a one, everyone. <laughs> that I just paused to yeah. look it
1: up and make sure I'm right.
0: <laughs> yep, that's a one. Where I'm a two and I'm like, wait, uh, it's something like that. <laughs> anyway, he was dismissed by Louis XVI. Um,
1: following the, and so that was actually followed by the fall of the Bastille and, um, subsequently recalled by the monarch. He was subsequently recalled. Um, so in his political writings, he justified his preference for a tempered monarchy similar to the one existing in England. And he sort of became one of the leading theorists of executive power in modern political thought at the time. Uh, he wrote a book, his first major book, Letters on the Works and Character of J.J. J. Rousseau, appeared in 1788 and established... Oh, I'm sorry. This is... We're... Stale. Madame de Stale's first book. Mm. But, you know, no one gives a fuck about her dad. Let's move <laughs> on.
0: But her dad was like a political activist in yeah. his own rich way. New paragraph, no transition!
1: Madame de Stael's first major book, Letters on the Works and Character of J.J. Rousseau, appeared in 1788 and established her reputation in Parisian circles at that time. She published On the Influence of Passions on the Happiness of Individuals and Nations in 1796, followed four years later by On Literature Considered in its Relations to Social Institutions. She also wrote a novel, Delphine, that appeared in 1802, and Corinne, another novel that was published five years later. So she was busy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like her mother and father before her, she opened her own salon in 1792 in the Swedish ambassador's residence in the Rue de Bac. Her salon. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) I know why you're (laughs) laughing. <laughs> you're going to laugh a lot in my next sentence. Oh my gosh, I'm so about it. Gathered some of the most brilliant minds of pre-revolutionary France, including Talleyrand, Abbé Daly, Clermont-Tonnerre, and Governor Morris. <laughs> uh, they all defended the idea of a constitutional monarchy.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you.
1: Okay. So, this is sort of where uh, Napoleon Bonaparte comes into play, so oh, yeah. So she's she's obviously influential, and she obviously has a lot of uh, friends, and so he he considers her uh, to be a dangerous obstacle to his power. So mm-hmm. she meets him for the first time in 1797. She later recalled that she felt unable to breathe in his presence. Napoleon, Madame de Stael argued, subjected his critics to countless persecutions and engaged the country in extravagant military campaigns, taking pleasure only in the violent crisis produced by battles.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Can I I tell you my one weird fact I know about Napoleon? That he's short? No. Weirder. (laughs) That he would write his wife josephine and say i'm about to come home from battle well, or something like that but be like do not bathe for i love the smell of a woman so he wanted his wife her her stuff to be uh nice and ripe when he came home
1: oh oh gosh
0: yeah so that's napoleon he a freak <laughs> so she probably so anyway <laughs> So holding um, her breath because she couldn't breathe around it might have a different meaning.
1: Well, it's, it's funny because supposedly at their first meeting, she asked him who he thought was the greatest woman in history.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: he told her that it was the woman who'd had the most children.
0: Yeah. He freaked.
1: Um, so obviously that didn't sit well with her. And so her salon became a center for resistance against Napoleon Bonaparte from 1802 9 onwards yeah rather um she favored a republican form of government
0: mm-hmm.
1: based on popular sovereignty representative government respect for private property uh, she saw all this as a foundation of all political rights she also expressed concern for the low spiritness of low public spiritness of the french so in 1803 uh, she is forced into exile by napoleon um, i do want to note here that in my research he it was like he would force her into exile and then she would find a way back and then he would force her into exile so like she was put into exile by him a few times before i think it was like the third one where it really stuck (laughs) um but so and this next bit about her son it doesn't specify which exile uh he asked this but at one point during one of her exiles her son august asked napoleon to allow him back into paris to which Napoleon supposedly said, Paris is where I live. I don't want anyone there who doesn't like me. So that's going well. So her revenge was to sponsor a famous salon mm-hmm. uh, in her family's chateau at Copet? Copet? C O P P E T. Copet. 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 Uh, tell us. Uh, in Switzerland, so, so there she's giving shelter and support to a lot of liberal critics of this regime. Mm-hmm. Um, she also wrote one of the first fish, uh, histories of the French Revolution and um, she was able to savagely critique his rule in that. Uh, in That's awesome. In 1810 she completes On Germany in which she praises R- Prussia and never mentions Napoleon who had waged an eight-year war Against that country. The book did not appear in France. Uh, the police confiscated the volume's proofs and type blocks and the 10,000 copies already printed. And so at this point, so she's in Switzerland, she's got her famous salon. She is taking people in against him and encouraging thought
0: against him. And so, light and shade and books like left yeah. and right. Yeah. yeah.
1: So guess what, Napoleon? She doesn't like you. <laughs> uh, she decides to flee to England. And so every port is blockaded. Um, so what ended up happening is she has to make her escape through Russia. Mm-hmm. And at and at that point she was, um, Napoleon was rather on the point of invading that. So in her book, 10 Years of Exile, uh, she gave a vivid account of the secret departure of herself and her family and this, this flight. So it was Switzerland, Austria, Russia, and Sweden. Um, so when she arrives at Moscow, they're, they're literally every day expecting the arrival of Napoleon's armies. And she left Moscow, she says, while well, the din of war filled the air and the whole empire seemed tremulous under the tread of armies. It took her about a year to reach England, where she published her, the, that book that she had written on Germany. Mm -hmm. So she carried this manuscript with her through all of those lands. Um, She was very busy on this Mm -hmm. year flight, including in Russia. And I'm going to get, I'm going to get to that a little bit later, but ultimately the book is published in 1813 and napoleon yeah napoleon is angry he's humiliated by her refusal to refuse offending passages um he emphatically forbade this publication because it was allegedly unfrench and all right <laughs> in her uh, in her 10 years of exile she wrote uh, emperor napoleon's greatest grievous against me is my unfailing respect for true liberty Uh, Here's another great quote about Napoleon from her. Um, Far from recovering my confidence by seeing Bonaparte more frequently, he constantly intimidated me more and more. I had a confused feeling that no emotion of the heart could act upon him. He regards a human being as an action or a thing, not a fellow creature. He He does not hate more than he loves. For him, nothing exists but himself. All other creatures are ciphers. The force of his will consists in the impossibility of disturbing the calculations of his egoism. He is an able chess player, and the human race is the opponent to whom he proposes to give checkmate. His successes depend as much on the qualities in which he is deficient as on the talents in which, which he possesses. Neither pity, nor allurement, nor religion, nor attachment to any idea whatsoever could turn him aside from his principal direction. He is, for his self-interest, what the man, what the just man should be for virtue. If the end were good, his perseverance would be noble. Wow. <laughs> so she argued that <laughs> Napoleon was able to create a tyrannical government by pandering on men's interests, corrupting public opinion, and waging constant war. She said, it is generally after long civil troubles that tyranny is established because it offers the hope of shelter to all the exhausted and timorous factions. Bonaparte said of himself with reason that he could play admirably upon the instrument of power. In truth... As he is attached to no principles, nor restrained by any obstacles, he presents himself in the arena of circumstances like a wrestler, no less subtle than vigorous, and discovers at the first glance the points in every manner association of men which may promote his private designs. His scheme for arriving at the domination of France rested upon three principal bases: to satisfy men's interest at the expense of their virtues, to deprave public opinion by sophisms and to give the nation war for an object instead of liberty
0: she's i want to read her book she's a beautiful writer right like sometimes you read stuff from you know historical things and you're like okay well i get it but then she's a beautiful writer yeah she's
1: yeah she's very uh, articulate and really illustrates the point and mm-hmm. you know for someone that's writing this book in the 1800s it it still resonates yeah on a ship traveling
0: across thousands of miles uh in
1: 1814 the french memoir writer madame de Chastenay, summed up madame de Staël's life in a simple simple single epigram uh she said there were three great powers struggling against napoleon for the soul of europe England, Russia, and Madame de Staël. Wow, yeah.
0: Boom. So, uh,
1: so going back in time a little bit, uh, back to Copep. So there, she rallied a powerful opposition to Napoleon. So she brought together many friends of liberty who has bec- who had become his staunchest critics, including Tsar Alexander the First. So. So ah. he is the one that was responsible for giving her a Russian passport. Mm. And so when she gets to Russia, um, he welcomes her to the country. Yeah. She's also crucial in putting together the coalition that brought down Napoleon. Most of the important treaty negotiations between Russia and Sweden against Napoleon were conducted through Madame de Stael. Uh, she, her influence and her contacts were also vital in bringing England and Prussia into this coalition. Uh, a book called From the Age of Napoleon by J. Christopher Harold said negotiations for a closer alliance continued largely through the unofficial intermediary of Madame de Stael, who had just crossed Russia in her flight from Napoleon and held several conversations with Alexander so that's cool yeah so that flight that we were talking about that eventually Mm -hmm. led her to england to get her book published the whole way she's talking to people and being like hey we gotta get together you're rid of Napoleon
0: yeah and like not and and i yeah not like other like writers but like political figures Mm -hmm. she's like i know who can get things done the czar of russia wow
1: yeah so she i and i don't want to give her like excessive credit me like she was single handedly responsible for, yeah. for bringing him down but she was a large part of it and she was a large influence of that mm-hmm. um and so it it just it makes it you know and obviously she wasn't bringing him down because he slighted her and he exiled her she was bringing him down because she truly believed like this guy's shit and you yeah. have to get rid of him yeah. So that is her involvement of the takedown of Napoleon, who was not a good person. Uh, she died in 1817, shortly mm-hmm. after an attack of paralysis at the age of 50. Oh. Uh, she, she had another book that she was working on. It was called Considerations on the Main Events of the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was published in 1818. And in this book, posthumous work she reproached the french for being dominated by the love of abstract ideas Mm -hmm. uh for their rejection of others which prevented them from taking as a model the constitution adopted by another nation Mm -hmm. and as for the empire she considered that it was full of civil service servants for a great administrator full of soldiers for a general full of subjects for a caesar and full of anarchy which makes everybody want to take power uh, she just she just has a, a way with words.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and she would have an interesting perspective when it came to the French Revolution because of her father too. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure she saw him roller coaster through that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we can all uh, look at our parents and be like, "You should have done this."
1: <laughs> and you know, to be fair, a lot of what was getting her in the room to to be a part of this and be this influences. Her family was incredibly wealthy. Mm -hmm. She was incredibly well educated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, her dad had these salons. So even from an early age, she was making these connections. She knew how to interact with people. So she was, she was coming from a place of privilege, but she did use that privilege for something good. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I certainly don't want to, you know, negate her or anything like that for that privilege. I just, i do think it's important to acknowledge that
0: you know there were there are other
1: factors that made it that she was able to have this influence
0: yeah yeah because when she walked in a room she wasn't struggling uphill of why she deserved to be in the room now let's move on she, everyone knew why she deserved to be in the room and yeah. she could just yeah
1: so there's there's actually uh, quite a lot of writing on her um but i pulled from some books that i wanted to note Uh, Madame de Stael, The First Modern Woman. Um, Madame de Stael by Mariah Fairweather. Mistress to an Age, A Life of Madame de Stael by Christopher J. Harold. Germaine de Stael and Benjamin Constant, A Dual Biography by Renee Weingarten. I found a fantastic blog called scandalouswomen.blogspot.com and this was this particular article was about Madame de Staël, and then something called OLLLibertyFun.org dot org also had a story about her. Very so, cool. no offense to Wikipedia, but I'm always proud when I can do an and <laughs> when I can do a whole shade and not necessarily have to pull from that, but I can go yeah. from from other sources, including quotes.
0: Yeah. Um. Oh my goodness! Corrections corner. Last week's Massacre at Ganonhut came from Alan Eckert's That Dark and Bloody River was my main source, so. Yes, and personal visits to all the sites. <laughs> Go us. Yeah. Um, so, Julie, what's the future light you got going on?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, ah,
0: it's so cold here. It's hard to
1: think about light. It just gets so <laughs> dark so fast. Um no, I, I think sort of just some, some future light is I'm taking advantage of I'm I'm going to hibernate a little bit in the sense that I'm not going to really put myself out there for projects until it gets a bit warmer mm-hmm. and it's easier to commute and commit, frankly, um, okay. and just sort of focus on improving myself and, and taking care of myself and eating better and all that. I had an improv show last night, actually, and it was like, the whole hour leading up to the show was just a series of emails, because it was snowing, Mm -hmm. um, just a series of emails being, like, people being, like, is this show still happening? Because it was on the other, it was on the other side of Boston, and so Mike drove, and the, like, little, like, I don't have traction, light kept coming on in the car, and there, there were a few times where we were driving, and that light would come on, and he was, like, we'll just see. Yeah. I, I, I don't have control, and at one point, we were driving and it was a smaller road. It was like, um, two lanes on each side. And there was a car that was sideways o- off the road. Mm-hmm. So it, we weren't sure what was happening. It looked like they were pulling out of a driveway mm-hmm. and he was backing out. And Mike was like, I, I can't stop. Like, and he's yeah. like honking the horn at this guy. And we, and we were like, oh my God, we're just going to slide into this car. Um, and then as we passed, we realized that wasn't a driveway. They had like spuds yeah. gone into a sign, which it sucks for you. But also don't reverse in the snow without looking behind you.
0: Yeah. Oh.
1: So oh. It, it was stressful. And I was just like, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. Because that was an improv show. So at the end of the day, if I was driving and, and I felt like this isn't worth it, I could say, hey, team, you're in this without me. Mm-hmm. But if it were a scripted show or something like yeah. that, I would have felt that pressure mm-hmm. to get there. So that's my future light. I don't know if that's even a light or if it's just me talking out feelings that should happen with a the therapist.
0: <laughs> well, that's future light. <laughs> what is yours? Um, <laughs> just a. uh, I I have, I have things to add about yours, but my future light is I'm gonna start a vlog um, for funsies because I love thrift shopping, consignment shopping. Um, I think it's good for the environment. I think it also makes my closet look on point. Um, so I'm just gonna start a vlog on like how to do it, how to do it better, some thrift hauls that I do. Um, I do a thing where friends will tell me like, what kind of style they want. And they give me a budget and then I just give them a thrift haul and send it to them. So doing stuff like that. And, uh, yeah. So I think I'm just going to start that for funsies. Not like this is my next business adventure. Cause I don't want it to have that pressure on it, but I think it will be fun.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> that's a, that's a solid future. Like,
0: yeah.
1: I also said like, instead of light, and I just want to
0: it's okay. <laughs> it's so cold. It's so cold. <laughs> it's so cold and it gets so dark so, so quick. Soon. Why? <laughs> and it's almost, this is, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a sub future light for the both of us. Cause I feel like this applies to both of us. It's almost con season.
1: Yes. In
0: rena- most- Renaissance fair season and like thinking about costumes to wear. That's always fun too. Um, I saw a great post that actually combines
1: the con and, um, Ren Fairs, but I, I just saw a great post that was like, hey, it's Ren season, you're probably going to see people cosplaying as characters from The Witcher. This may be their first Ren fair. uh, this may be their first con, this may not be the best costume, but they're there, and, and you and how you choose to associate and welcome people in that space will determine if they come back again. So Mm -hmm. instead of judging them or, you know, making assumptions, like just toss a coin to the Witcher. And I was like, yes. Do you remember who posted it? No, I've seen it a few times. I don't remember who the the OP is, which I've learned is the original poster.
0: Not the original poster, but I definitely posted it. Cause I was like, yes, I love anything that you can do at cons that are interactive. Like yeah. tossing a coin to your witcher. I was like, yeah, I'm getting tons of plastic coins. Cause I bet you there's going to be a billion. Um, there is,
1: I mean, and let me say this because I, I love comic cons so very much. And I, I love being there and being a part of things. Um, but there is sort of like a, a subset of people and, and some of those people are people that, that I'm friends with. So whenever they say things along these lines, I'm like, Oh, but you know, when stranger things, um, when the most recent season was out there, were people like, Oh, how many scoops, troops, costumes
0: are we going to see? And I'm like, who cares?
1: Yeah. Troops. Who scoops even cares? All of them. <laughs> people, people are doing a thing and it gives them joy at, at a place that we knowingly talk about how like people that, don't necessarily fit in like we get to go to this and feel like we fit in so Mm -hmm. so don't be at that place and try and be the mean person there like who cares if people are enjoying themselves uh don't yuck their yum
0: as mike says that's so sweet i know he's real sweet do you know what's yum scoops ahoy and there are a billion i loved it when i went to um halloween horror nights because there was a stranger things house they had so many people dressed and we would like applauded all of them oh so that was
1: great i love that well we will see you for our next episode yes in the meantime follow us on instagram on insta on um, facebook but mainly on
0: insta yeah send us an e yeah send
1: us an, <laughs> just, mainly because Julie doesn't upkeep the facebook um also feel free to send us an email if you have a
0: i'm sorry my bra just dropped just fell down i'm trying to fix it So I'll continue talking while she does that. So send us an email if you have a shade you want us to cover. Or if you have a shade, like, either, like, a historic, like, if you have a hometown shade um, or something like that, let us know. Um, And
1: on all of the various places that we stream, please write us a review.
0: Yes. Write us a review. Tell people that, I mean, even if the view is, like, I don't know. These two ladies are cool. Listen or it's worth 30 minutes. That's all we ask. Um, Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.
1: historical underscore shade or Facebook at historical shade. We don't have a Twitter. Thanks Julie! <laughs>